Welcome to Pods Unknown, a show where we go back and watch some of the greatest and sometimes not so great events of all time in wrestling history. We're going to break down each show with a number of categories, or honors, as I like to call them. And feel free to weigh in on any of the honors from previous episodes or give your nominees for future shows. You can send us a voice message. Just click the link in the description of this episode, and you could be a part of the next episode, which is WrestleMania 8. By the way, this week, it was the first time the Royal Rumble match came with a prize, and it was the biggest prize of them all, the vacant WWF World Heavyweight Championship. This is Pods Unknown, Royal Rumble 1992. It'll be every man for himself as the biggest and baddest battle it out for the greatest prize of all, the WWF Championship. It's happening at the Royal Rumble. And remember, if you don't see it in your video store, ask for it. In the red corner, from parts unknown. January 19th, 1992 at the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. This is Royal Rumble 1992 on Pods Unknown. My name is Sideshow. I am joined by first-timer on the show, Ben McLean. How you doing, Ben? Uh, I'm fantastic. Even better knowing that they're uh, filming a redux of the Piledriver video in your backyard. <laughs> we decided, listen, Royal Rumble 92 is it probably, I would put it up there as like my favorite wrestling pay-per-view of all time. I have the fondest memories of this show. So I was like, let's just do it in person. Normally, we, you know, with the pandemic, we do things over Zoom and stuff, but we could sit out in the backyard. It's a beautiful day. Uh, but yes, I live in a construction zone. That's the only downfall of doing this in my backyard, Ben. But thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. It's a, this is a, it's a nice setup. You can't see it, but the uh, Sideshow layer is majestic. Sideshow Studios even yeah. has a nice outdoor setup. It's pretty good. Uh, the attendance of this show, a sellout crowd of 17,000 and 260,000 pay-per-view buys. Pretty big number for 1992. And it starts off the way I love my Royal Rumble pay-per-views to start, and that's just Vince McMahon yelling out the names of superstars in the Rumble. And I, you know what I love about him is that it's almost, it's totally pointless because he's going like, Ric Flair, the immortal Hulk Hogan. Yeah, but he's just as enthusiastic about the guys you know aren't going to win. Nasty boy sags. <laughs> Barbarian. Yeah. All right, all right, keep him in. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Nasty boy sags. Repo Man. Yeah, and he like rhymes them off, and it's a so it's a minute long of just rhyming off names. So it's a great way to start off the rumble. It's the way I remember all those old rumbles starting, and it it immediately because it gets right to it, right? And I immediately was taken back to popping that VHS tape into the VCR when I was a kid. And I, so this is the reason this is one of my favorite wrestling pay per views of all time. This was probably the first one someone taped for me and gave me a cassette tape up. Nice. So I have seen this show, you know, 92, 93, 94 even. I watched this show so much because I didn't have cable. I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to watch wrestling other than I had this tape of Royal Rumble 1992. And another one that I got uh, later that I saw a, a million times someone taped for me was WrestleMania 9 from Caesar's Palace. 
probably not the best WrestleMania to be your, you know, your your one and only for a while, but I love it. Doesn't matter. You can go back and watch matches again <laughs> as the magic of the VCR is. Of course, you're going to watch whatever you get. I watched Bobby Heenan ride on that uh, elephant or camel or whatever backwards, yeah. you know, uh, a million times. But this one was probably the first one I had on tape, aside from maybe... I had maybe one or two of those Coliseum videos hosted by Lord Alfred Hayes and stuff where they had a few matches and like the Bushwhackers taught him how to rebuild a house or, you know, something, stu- <laughs> yeah. something put stupid. In, like put that. in flooring. Yeah. Whatever they did. <laughs> it I don't was know. just weird. But uh, this Rumble was unique in that the winner of the Royal Rumble would win the vacant WWF title, which had been, it was stripped from Hulk Hogan after a couple of switches between Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker. First, the 1991 Survivor Series, and then later, the Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view. Hogan and The Undertaker were in the the main event, were in the Rumble to try and reclaim it, but the whole idea was it was stripped from Hogan after a couple of controversial finishes, and now it was vacant. It It was the first time the Rumble actually had a prize on the end of it. You know, those other Rumbles before was just kind of, you won the Royal Rumble, and there was a hurrah, and that was it. You didn't get a crown, you didn't get a title, you didn't get a title shot. It was just bragging rights. It was bragging rights, really, really is what it was. And it's amazing that they never really came back to this idea, given how cool it is. I think there was one where maybe Roman Reigns was in the Rumble and he was the champ at the time. He defended it. It was 2016 and Triple H actually won it. So that that was the second time it ever happened where the title was won at the Royal Rumble. That one being unique in that the champion was in the Rumble defending it. Yeah, but, but weird that they never revisited this concept. It was also a really interesting time in the WWF. You had Ric Flair had signed, it was in August of 91. He started showing up on television. He's wearing the big gold belt. And he was walking around calling himself the real world's champion. He was wearing the NWA WCW title on WWF programming. So WCW ended up suing Flair, basically to try and reclaim that belt. But Flair claimed that he owned the belt in lieu of a $25,000 deposit that is paid by NWA champions upon winning the title, which had not been returned to him when he was fired from WCW. So the champions had to put in a $25,000 deposit to have the belt. And when he was fired by WCW, he didn't get his 25 grand back. So he's like, well, I guess I bought this belt. (laughs) So I'm going to go on WWF television. I'm going to wear this big gold belt. You imagine having a job where you had to put in a $25,000 deposit? Man alive. I, I, once, I, I once won an award uh, in, in, for a radio station at Canadian Music Week, and uh, I waited and waited, and the award never arrived. And so I called them. I'm like, hey, like I won this award at Canadian Music Week, and it never arrived. They said, oh, you never told us you wanted to buy it. No, really? So there, I had to write a check. And I had to get, I had to pay for the award to be shipped to my office. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a different economy. Uh, you also had WWF starting to, the WWF fans were starting to turn on Hulk Hogan a little bit here. And you, you don't see it a ton in this, but it was there. When Hogan was eliminated uh, in the Royal Rumble, the crowd actually cheered. And you can, you can hear it on the WWE Network now. There are some, now you watch the DVD copy. I don't know if it's an edited version on the DVD copy, but I heard that there are versions of it where they kind of reduce the cheering so that you didn't notice that the crowd was cheering when, when Sid eliminated Hogan. When Sid tosses him out, you can definitely hear that they're into that. Yeah. You can tell that there's a turn happening even in that copy of it. 
which is they're definitely at a point where they got to start rebuilding around somebody and it feels like they don't know how to do it yet. Sid was turning heel at this point, which, and he was a big, you know, he, there was sort of a slow, gradual heel turn for, for Sid. He said that uh, Hogan then went and screamed at Vince backstage, blamed Vince for, for setting Hogan up to be booed. Uh, and Sid said he told Vince, I can't work in a place where a grown man acts like this. I'm going home. I'm done. Spoiler alert, he didn't go anywhere, except for maybe a year later to try and play softball professionally. As you do. Yeah, but he, he didn't go anywhere. And on top of that, you had Rowdy Roddy Piper replacing Bret Hart in the Intercontinental Championship match. Now, throughout the show, they kept saying that he had 102 temperature. He was sick, and so he ended up losing it, losing the title to the Mountie, couldn't compete at the Royal Rumble. In reality, according to the Wrestling Observer, Brett believed his WWF contract was up, and he was talking a guaranteed contract with WCW. So the plan was to have Brett debut at Clash of the Champions two days after the Rumble, possibly with the Intercontinental Championship in hand, sort of as a retaliation to Flair showing up with the NWA WCW big gold belt on WWF programming. Brett's contract, however, had rolled over, so he wasn't able to actually give his notice, so he just wasn't on the pay-per-view. But imagine if Brett left for WCW in 1992 instead of 1997. Like, that, there's a whole wormhole that I'm afraid to go down there. Like, that's a butterfly effect that could have changed the course of history in a big way. You talk about they needed to shift away from Hogan. Brett was the guy. They perhaps don't go out and get Hulk Hogan if they have built this thing around Brett. But then you go, would a 1992 WCW have known what to do with Brett Hart to build it around him? Is Bret Hart working at an Arby's like <laughs> well, we, six months later? <laughs> we already know 1997 WCW didn't know what to do with Bret Hart. Ex exactly. So yeah. imagine 1992 WCW with Bret Hart. I don't know. He was, a he was a younger guy at the time. He was a huge up-and-coming talent. He was great in the ring. He was most of the time great on the microphone. Let me just say... Nothing against the good people at Arby's. They make a fine sandwich. <laughs> and true. if you'd like to sponsor this podcast, I encourage you to do it. Thank you very much. It would much. just be a different career. I'm <laughs> suggesting he would be in a different career. And he would excel at Arby's is correct. all you're saying. Yeah, that's correct. So the show's two and a half hours long, and there's only five matches. There's, uh, you get the Orient Express and the New Foundation, which is an interesting pairing. The Mountie and Roddy Piper, that was that Intercontinental Championship match we were talking about. The Bushwhackers and Jameson against the Beverlies. Legion of Doom against the Natural Disasters. That's the tag team titles. And then, of course, WWF titles up for grabs in the Royal Rumble. So before we get to the categories, uh, Ben, I'd like to do uh, like a Royal Rumble by the numbers. You know how nowadays they do that on the Royal Rumble? They didn't do it in 92. No, they, no. they didn't give you the numbers. Analytics in weren't a thing then. Yeah. Longest time spent in the ring. I think you can probably guess who that was. Flair. That was obviously yeah. Ric Flair. One hour and two seconds. Do they still call that a Broadway in the air wrestling industry? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know that old Southern term where if it's an hour-long match and you do the whole thing, it's a Broadway. Well, isn't anyway. it? Bro Broadway is when uh, you run the, uh, the, time the time limit. The hour isn't time it? limit, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, shortest time in the ring. Oh, uh, Bushwhacker, right? No, that was, that was from uh, the year before. Oh, that was the year before. No, uh, no. Hercules was 56 seconds. Ah. Eliminated by the big boss, man. And the most eliminations. You're going to have to give it to me. Sid was six. 
Not a huge number, no. but Sid came in right at the end, but he also came in as the big powerhouse. Yeah, to, clean, yeah, yeah, yeah. To sort of clean house. Flair was right behind him with number with five, but five after an hour in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Flair, I was going to say Flair again, but like, no, they wouldn't have given that to him. Well, Flair was also chicken shit heel, right? Like he was hiding in the corner. Yeah. He was doing, I my favorite thing is the Flair on his knees, hands up, doing the no, don't hit me thing. Yeah. He was doing that the whole match. He probably did the face plant, the, the stumble forward face plant, like four times during the rumble. It was like, he just ran out of stuff to do. He's like, I got all my shit in. I just got to do something else. That's what it, like, what makes this such an incredible performance is not so much that he stayed in there for the hour, <laughs> but that he could remember that much uh, stuff to keep recycling. So there, that's your Royal Rumble by the numbers on this one. We'll start with the, uh, with the honors. Match of the night, I have two nominees. Ooh. A- out of five. I have two. And one is, of course, the Royal Rumble. I think, you know, it's Ric Flair. It's, you know, Piper was amazing in it. There were some really good performances in the Rumble. And it's just, the Rumble's always fun. The anticipation of who's going to be coming at the end of that 10-second timer. My other match of the night was Orient Express and New Foundation. Yeah, I thought was really, really fun. I remember watching it as a kid and uh, loving it. And watching it again as as an adult, I'm like, you know what? This was this was just a fun match. I had no memory of it whatsoever. And once the new foundation comes out in those super <laughs> 90s slacks or whatever's going on, I'm like, oh no. Bobby well, Heenan says they they just they must have just woke up. They're still in their pajamas. Yeah. But once they get going. It's oh, yeah. real good. Like, it holds up now, and it's another one of those instances where you remember, man, Owen Hart was real good. Really good. And you know what? I, I got to hand it to Jim Neidhart, too. He does that, uh, like, flying shoulder over the rope where he pulls yeah. himself over the top rope and sort of does that flying shoulder thing. He was, uh, he was a big powerhouse dude that just unfortunately never got to really play a big powerhouse dude in in a big way. I don't think. Like I always loved Jim Neidhart. Yeah, no, yeah, like his promos were always really entertaining. Oh my god, he stroking was... the goatee was a good <laughs> bit. Yeah, strong guy. They they probably could have done more with him. I I probably say like again. You know, I I really enjoyed that match. I mean, I know you know what what the worst stuff was, and we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But I would say the Royal Rumble was probably the match of the night just for what it was. And in that case, I guess, who brought you to the dance? Because, you know, you always say there's, there's a best match, but then there's always the match that sold the tickets. And I, I think in this case, it's the Royal Rumble, too. Yeah, I think any time yeah. it's a Royal Rumble, the, the Rumble is what, is what brought me there. Especially in this case, I think, because the title was on the line. I think it ended up being the best match, I thought, as well. And it brought you there with the who's going to end up winning the belt. Well, and look at the talent that was in the Rumble. Right, you didn't even have like a main event after the Rumble or something that, or before the Rumble that took away two or three of the main guys. No, you had Flair, Hogan, Sid, Undertaker, Roddy Piper. You had the best of the best all in that match, and Piper even worked another match earlier in the night. So. Yeah, it was right in that era too, where you had like the best of the guys from the late '80s kind of thing, and the best of the guys that would go on to be something like Shawn Michaels and yeah. all that kind of thing. So it was a real cool 
cross-section of uh, guys. I feel like it's funny. 92 is kind of this weird time where it's not quite the new generation yet that happened in around 94, 95-ish. It's definitely not the Attitude Era yet. And it's kind of this weird sort of crossover from the old guard, if you will, seeing guys like Flair and Hogan. And I mean, he was, he wasn't necessarily the Iron Sheik in this match, but the Iron Sheik and these guys, there were huge names in the eighties. And even, you know, to some extent back to the seventies, you still had this big cross section of these older guys that were still top of their game. I think they wanted to keep the guys that they knew traditionally had made them a bunch of money, but also realized they needed the next thing. And I don't think they had sorted out what the next thing was just yet. There wasn't like a consensus on here's definitely where we're going. It's uh, let's let these older guys go. And also I still like money. (laughs) It's out here someplace. Well, and even, you know, Randy Savage wasn't doing commentary yet. He was, and I mean, like, like he was, that guy was so spry in that match. Like you saw how quickly he came down to the ring, his big leap over the top rope, which we will get to in pedantic fault finding, by the way, Uh, because that's ridiculous. But a guy like Randy Savage, who was the later part of his WWF wrestling career, was top of his game. Like He looked fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing to think that they were essentially ready to put that guy out to pasture not that long after this, where he still looks great. But maybe it was more of a case where it's like, you can't really repackage Randy Savage. I'm not sure, but he looked so good in this that you would think he was good to go for a while. Again, we'll get to it. A little later, I think, but you say you can't repackage Randy Savage, but they pa- repackaged Iron Sheik to to <laughs> Colonel Mustafa. I mean, I guess they, I guess they did put a different hat on him or something. You know, <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Don't worry. Who thought that was a good idea? I got a few nominees, and if you have any, please feel free to to add and to weigh in on these. But my first one is the sound of the cattle prod when Piper hits the Mountie with the cattle prod. And it gets piped in through the through the arena speakers. Hey, yes! Yeah. <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea? Uh, I understand, but I also think if you're going to give him a prod, and he just sticks it into a guy, like, otherwise it just looks like a turkey baster or something. <laughs> it needs you got to have something, and maybe it's not piping it into the crowd. I don't know how to fix it, and I get why you're nominating it, but I think you had to have something. Listen, if you're not coming with solutions... (laughs) (laughs) My solution is, I get that he's a heel and it's nice to have a gimmick where he cheats, but maybe not a cattle prod. (laughs) Okay. Any interaction I've ever had with the RCMP, they've not been waving (laughs) one of those around. A big stick. Yeah. (laughs) How many interactions have you had with the RCMP? How long do you want this show I to go? I always get to my man. <laughs> I'm going to, okay, so this could be two different things. I'm going to put them all together. Uh, the Bushwhackers and the Beverly Brothers as a match uh, in a whole. But Jameson. Yes. Wh- why? Why was that a thing? Can you imagine being the Bushwhackers and being paired with Jameson? It, to me, screams like this is your 30-day notice. (laughs) If we, as the Bushwhackers, aren't being wacky enough on WWF TV and they need to bring in a guy to up our wacky, you might as well start packing a bag. (laughs) The guy's blowing his nose in a sock that he has in his shirt pocket. 
He's chewing on his tie. He's eating like bread at one point during the match. Like, I don't get why he was a thing. And to look at them, there is no explanation for why they should know each other. No. He's just a wacky guy yeah. that they've slapped with the Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers were these dudes from New Zealand who were just like, well, I mean, they, they originated as the Sheep Herders, which were actually a pretty, back in the day, a yeah. pretty tough team. Obviously, WWF, WWF'd all over them and made them the Bushwhackers, but I mean, ultimately made them huge stars. But where Jameson comes into the mix, I have no, I guess, and, and they don't really give you any backstory on Jameson. They just bring him in with Mean Gene and, yeah. and he's part of the conversation. If you're not watching WWF television at the time, you have no idea why. So, so me, for example, have no idea where this guy came from. In today's world, they send out a press release saying, <laughs> we wish you well in your future endeavors. Yeah. Back in the day, they stuck you with Jameson <laughs> as a way of saying so long. Um, the other thing, uh, who thought that was a good idea? 10 minutes of promos before the Rumble. 10 minutes of little mini promos from like half the guys in the Rumble Yeah, right before the Rumble. I get that you really want to build up the shot at a championship. Yeah. 10 minutes is a long time. It's like, did they get told what the previous nine minutes worth of guys had said about the match <laughs> so that they can mix it up to something other than it's going to be great to win this and win the yeah. belt. No, that's been covered. Davy boy. Oh, uh, remember that time I won the intercontinental belt. This will also be good. Davy, why don't you just say it's really going to be a Royal rumble yeah. and flex for us. That'll do it, I I'm think. On it. I'm on it. <laughs> I did have one uh, for this category. Yeah. And this is from being growing up at around the time this character was introduced. The Repo Man. Yeah. Because I was, I don't know, 10 when this happened. I don't know what a Repo Man is or does. So to me, that's no threat. I don't understand why I should care about that guy. I'm in one class of kids. The other class of kids, much, much smaller, knows exactly what a repo man is, has probably come like to their home. And it was like maybe a traumatic, the worst day of their life. <laughs> so I don't know who this character is. You're either really like opening up a wound for some poor kid, or it's somebody like me that doesn't know how repo men work. I just, it's either awful or I'm blah about it. Come on, Vince. I, I also like that he's the repo man, but he's clearly just a, a thief of some kind. Like, <laughs> he even wears, like, the raccoon mask, and, like, yeah. he, he creeps around. Like, I don't think anybody's ever seen, like, ever had the repo man come to their door to repossess a car or something, and he's got a mask on, and he's, like, creeping along. Or, like, and it, th there were various points where he had tire tracks yes. on his outfit. Yeah. I'm like, what, how, how is he repossessing this car where it drives clean over him? I'm a simple man. I don't understand a lot of jobs, but that I think you're doing it wrong. You haven't watched enough reality television. I, I suppose don't think, I haven't. Another one I had was, did we really need Jack Tunney to say a few words before the <laughs> Royal Rumble match? Like, first of all, he sounded it was it was a it was a very well scripted presidential sounding thing. But everyone talked about how bad he was and you know hogan talked about how terrible jack tunney is and how he was this evil dude and then he just comes out and says welcome everyone the winner of this match well what and it's like what what did we need that for 
It was ahead of its time in a way, though, because you think about like Gary Bettman, the commissioner of yeah, the NHL. That's true. They bring him out at the beginning of. They bring him out to present like the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Nobody wants it, but he's getting that sweet heel heat <laughs> that riles up the crowd. Jack Tunney, that whole presentation might have just been done too early. You're right. I'm going to. So, ahead of its time, we're going to add that you know to what? ahead of its that's time. Right. I'm that's right. I'm jumping ahead that's myself. That's really good. That answer was ahead of its time. <laughs> so, there were, there were a few things that I thought stuck out to me as just, just kind of strange. The gimmick graveyard, I mean, there's way too much to even name in this. You could basically everybody in the show, their gimmick has changed in some way. So I I, I got a little more specific in the gimmick, gimmick graveyard this time. One of them was the cane. Mr. Fuji with the cane. Managers don't use canes as a weapon enough anymore. They really don't. And that is probably the most I've seen Mr. Fuji's cane become involved in a match, actually hanging it up. Yeah. Like it was a, a candy cane on a Christmas tree, <laughs> hanging it on the rope so that Owen Hart could be blasted into it. And it snapped and everything. Snapped right in half. I do love when they go back to the replay of him hanging it, how carefully he yeah, hangs it. Very too. dainty. Because like, yeah. you kind of miss it on the first pass and they do a replay and he's just yeah. very like, let me just get this right where it needs to be. And, uh, you know, back in the day, Freddie Blassie had like a walking stick. Yep. You don't see a lot of canes anymore. No, you don't. It's unfortunate. Uh, fair to Flair is a gimmick that was so good. The whole, this isn't fair to Flair was said, I like, I stopped counting yeah. how many times it was said during the Rumble. And that's one that I feel like it, it, it didn't, uh, it, it's still something we say, but I don't think it's like part of Ric Flair's thing anymore. Nobody, nobody really, you know, you don't tie that in with Ric Flair much. Anymore. I think a lot of the time you want to keep Ric Flair heel. And that's the best, like, it's comedic Austin 316 or something. Totally. It's so great and cool that whoever it's attached to, I can't hate this. What am I going to do? Hate this guy? Come on. Monsoon's medical terminology. Also the best. Boy, that one comes right down on the back of your neck, right on an external occipital protuberance. What? Say the back of the neck. Keep it simple. Just for the... You know, 10-year-old wrestling fan must have thought the human body <laughs> was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And then you get to high school and they, they show it all to you. And, you know, where's the, yeah, protuberance maximus isn't in here at all. <laughs> I've been lying Excuse to. me, can you tell me where the bread basket is? <laughs> it was the best bit. This was the final WWF pay-per-view appearance for Haku. Until he was in the Rumble in 2001. That was the gimmick thing. So really, that's the end of Haku pretty much after this. Orient Express was the end for them too. It was, this was their last pay-per-view match. Uh, was, so it was Kato and Pat Tanaka. Paul Diamond, who played Kato, would go on to play Max Moon. What? Yeah. His last performance was the following Royal Rumble uh, in 93 as Max Moon. I did not know that. Well, see, you just you got to put a mask on the guy. That's what <laughs> I, it is. I'm the kind of guy that's getting fooled by masks. <laughs> Throw some glasses on Superman. You're telling me that Clark Kent. <laughs> Wait a minute. Kane used to be a dentist? Uh, this is the last uh, pay-per-view match for Hercules, the Warlord, the Barbarian. I mentioned Pat Tanaka. Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, uh, and uh, Colonel Mustafa. His last uh, pay-per-view as Colonel Mustafa. I will say, uh, given that it's Warlord's last pay-per-view, they position him in a pretty 
seemingly meaningful role. Like he's coming in right at the end. Right at the end, he's got uh, he has slick with him. Yeah, he's pretty imposing looking dude too. Yeah. At the same time, they had Sid. That, <laughs> right? Like you so, only need so many, y- you know, big jacked up guys. <laughs> And, uh, and it was the only time uh, on a pay-per-view that Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart teamed as the new foundation. So I'll throw that in the gimmick graveyard, too. <laughs> and maybe, maybe their outfits. <laughs> and yeah, I can guarantee those outfits were not seen again by humans. Rebooking. So what would you have changed? I've got, I got a couple nominees, and feel free to, feel free to add or, or weigh in, but the Bushwhackers and the Beverly Brothers can just go right to hell. Let's put it this way. That match was almost 15 minutes long. 14 minutes and 56 seconds, bell to bell. That's bell to bell. <laughs> that's not the beginning. That's not the, that's bell to bell. 15, right. almost 15 minutes. There, I'm pretty sure I heard boring chants at one point during the match. As a kid, I loved every once in a while, you know, the Bushwhackers thing where they would sort of chase the guys out of the ring and then they'd stomp around the ring and you'd laugh. This went on for just way too long. Agreed. I, I wouldn't have been sad to see it go, but I will say, you know, when you hear, a classic rock song and you get tired of it after a while to the point where you don't want to hear it anymore and then you're you know you get away from it for a while and return to it i was like that with the bushwhackers (laughs) really from an in-ring perspective i thought that occurred to me while watching this match is i would have been more afraid as a wrestler to go up against roddy piper from a work standpoint, I would have been more afraid that I was going to get teeth knocked out sure, than yeah. the Bushwhackers, which is amazing because in my head, I'm like, oh, the Bushwhackers were nuts. Yeah. But they, they, had a, they were all right. I, I came around on the Bushwhackers. However, I don't disagree with this. You throw in the Jameson part of it. I mean, it was a two and a half hour pay-per-view. We could have shaved 15 minutes at least Just off of in that. straight up. Right. Jameson chewing things. Yeah. yeah. Like we could have, we, there was a promo before the match. We could have trimmed it down a little bit, yeah. got rid of some of the fat on that. And then just about every finish on the show, I probably would have changed. You had a sleeper with the arm raises. You had a double axe handle, finished one match. You mm-hmm. had a count out. Even the dark match had a disqualification. I had found online that even that was a disqualification. So it's like, it was just a, it really felt, and even like, I don't understand how all the finishes were so bad. Cause I saw Pat Patterson show up at one point in the show. Yeah, he's, you know, uh, to, he's to the guy that you send Sid out when you need to hold Sid back. But I always heard Pat Patterson was the finish guy. I always heard, oh, go to Pat Patterson if you want to finish. He couldn't have helped any one of these matches. <laughs> not a single one of these matches had a finish, it seemed like. What do you want a finish, not finishes? <laughs> he's good for one per pay-per-view. <laughs> one and done. He yeah, gave yeah. His, maybe he booked the rumble and that was it. Bit of a hot take. I thought I would get your two cents. Okay. I think... They should not have had Flair go in at number three. Okay. Well, okay. It's not quite a hot take yet because you haven't told me where you think he should have been. At the end. Put Flair at the end. Yeah. What what the Royal Rumble's intention here to do was to make Flair a heel that you want to pay money to get beat up at the mania to come. They put him in at number three. Even in in his uh, pre-match promo, He's saying it's against all odds that he's going to do this. Wow. He starts at number three, goes through right to the end. The only other time that WWE, WWF has done this device is to get a face over. Yeah. 
put make a guy do the whole hour and then get in at the end. That's real. That's really interesting. I think what you do instead is you have, let's say, Macho Man be that guy, go in at number three. Or Piper. Or Piper. But I think at some point you say, oh, you know what? Their ankles hurt. And by the end, they're done. They've been in this whole thing, but their leg is just completely done. People are feeling all this sympathy. And then you bring Flair in. Takes advantage of it. Takes advantage of it. Then he gets to walk around going, I won, I won, blah, blah, blah. I think it was a complete face way of booking him throughout the whole thing to where when you get to the end and he's talking about a tear in his eye, this is the greatest day of my life. You want to see this guy just get it handed to him at WrestleMania? I don't know. I liked how it was booked, but for where they wanted to go, I don't think it's where they wanted it to go. That's really interesting. You know, I never really thought of it that way. Um, I I read that Bobby Heenan claimed that he came up with the idea of having Flair at the beginning of the Rumble. I think Heenan wanted him to be number one. I think what they wanted to do was to sell the audience on Flair and give him time so everybody can get a look at him. But really, all he's doing is getting beat up a lot. Yeah. Getting your sympathy. Not fully getting your sympathy, but I mean, doing the usual things that someone would do if and he does fight a lot in the rumble too he's not yeah. he's not hugging the bottom rope most exactly. of the rumble yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he does it a little bit but for the most part he's fighting through the rumble he's he's taking an ass kicking he's giving ass kickings at times yeah and then he does the iron man thing yeah you're right it he does is. the iron man thing and what's the last spot he pretty fairly dumps sid hogan looks like the doofus that's looks cheating like a total in this case. douche. Yeah, 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 exactly. Blair kind of just looks like a guy that's taking advantage of circumstances that anybody would. And at the end of that, I'm supposed to, you know, buy WrestleMania praying that either the guy that just cheated yeah. uh, beats this guy, beats up Ric Flair. I don't know. Wow, that's a really, wow. I have to reevaluate my early 90s, like everything early 90s wrestling now. It, none of it makes sense anymore now that you say this. You said it was a hot take. <laughs> you've actually, you've actually, hot takes, you're not supposed to win me over with oh, a yeah, hot right. take. Well, but, listen, I didn't have time to look up the meaning of hot take. Things that wouldn't fly today or, or like that doesn't hold up today. The Bushwhackers literally licking children on their way to the ring. I had the exact same one. And I'm not just talking like a little lick. Like they go, they get to the back of their tongue and they start as far back on their tongue as they can yeah. on that kid's head. And grab the kid's oh, head. Oh, yeah. My favorite is they do a close-up. Uh, it's one of the last lickings you, see, you <laughs> yeah. see. And they do a close-up and the dad is holding the kid. Yeah. And the kid, you know, he grabs the kid's head and he licks the kid. Go watch yourself, That youngster's going to remember that for the rest of his life. Probably smell for six months like sardines. And the kid sort of wipes his head after, and the dad looks at him like, isn't that cool? Like, (laughs) I can't imagine, Uh, especially now, but even before a pandemic, wrestlers licking children. It's the only gimmick where you could possibly do that. And I don't even understand why you can do it with the gimmick. What is a bushwhacker that they're just grabbing the heads of children and licking them? And licking them. them. I don't understand. As a greeting. (laughs) There's at least that I get. They're not doing it threateningly. No. They're giving it, they're 
theoretically giving you what you want. They have the best intentions with they their do. <laughs> And you think of, about all of the uh, wrestlers from that era who have, you know, obviously, sadly passed away. I believe at least one of the Bushwhackers is still with us, yeah. which is an, inc an incredible accomplishment given how many heads they would have straight up licked. <laughs> how many people they've licked. Yes. It's true. Um, the other thing that probably wouldn't fly today is the Orient Express. Just, Any, I mean, like, I, yeah. I just felt kind of weird with the name, the Orient Express. Any racial anything that the WWF is doing at that point would not fly. Colonel Mustafa. Any know, of it. Like any of that stuff. Ahead of its time, uh, Ric Flair, at one point in his... Uh, now, you watch the DVD of it. I watched the network, which it had another promo with Ric Flair before the Rumble. It was a Coliseum video one with Lord Alfred Hayes. One of the most quiet, reserved Ric Flair promos I've ever seen in my life. He just speaks through it. He doesn't do the yelling Ric Flair thing. And at the end of it, he says, I will be the World Wrestling Federation champion against all odds. And that's the bottom line. And that's the bottom line. You know, I, I watched that, and somehow that just flew right over my head. But that's, uh, that's super interesting. So he, he got that in there years before Austin ever got it in there. Didn't you think that uh, that's something that he'd remember? And once it started making money, do you think he would go back and hey, try to find out if he ever said it one time? Austin always said Flair was the greatest professional wrestler of all time. Maybe he lifted it from Rumble 92, from the Coliseum video. From the, yeah, sure. Coliseum video version. Uh, the other thing that was ahead of its time was giving the Royal Rumble a prize because really before that, the, the Rumble didn't mean anything. It was just a match. It was a fun match, but that was it. After this one, we got the number one contender prize. So you had the title for this one. Then after that, it was 93 that they started making the winner the number one contender for the title. So this was the first time the, the Rumble actually ever meant anything. I was also going to uh, kick in for ahead of its time. The Bushwhackers showing up in a ball caps turned to the side and camo pants. <laughs> now they didn't do you can't see me obviously but i think they made it acceptable to large crowds that here's how someone could come out wow yeah so much of what we know about wrestling now was formed on this on night this, in 1992 yeah. there was no way of knowing that uh <laughs> decades would be influenced by this one rumble some interesting facts, some quick facts on this show. Uh, so nine wrestlers made their first appearance in a Royal Rumble match. So Ric Flair was obviously one of them. Nasty boy, Jerry Sags. Erwin R. Scheister, his first Rumble. The Berserker, Virgil, the Iron Sheik. So that was as Colonel Mustafa. Skinner, Sergeant Slaughter, and Sid Justice. All their first Royal Rumble. We had mentioned the only Rumble to have the WWF title as the prize for the Rumble until it was 2016. As you'd mentioned, Roman Reigns had to defend his title in the Rumble, Triple H winning at that time. So it's only ever happened twice in history. And really, it's the only one where the buildup was to the end of it. I mean, with, with Roman, there was a chance that he could get tossed early or something. This, yeah. you're waiting around right to the end, and I'm shocked they haven't done it again. Yeah, and Haku and Nikolai Volkov replacing Marty Jannetty and Brian Nobbs in the Rumble match for the championship. Jannetty was a week before thrown through the barbershop window by uh, Shawn Michaels. So he was, he was out so that Shawn could have his solo moment. And that would be his first pay-per-view match as a solo performer, Shawn Michaels. Brian Nobbs, on the other hand, he had a separated shoulder. He got into a fight with a group of fans. Oh, 
And it was at a live event in Peoria, Illinois, two weeks before the event. The three guys who initiated the attack were charged with aggravated battery and mob action. So uh, only one nasty boy on the Rumble this uh, that year. Well, when you're weighing the pros and cons, do I take a Royal Rumble paycheck? Do I get in a fight in Peoria, <laughs> Illinois? I mean, yeah, you know, it's you a, got a 50-50 shot, and uh, what do you do? It, it didn't work out for him. <laughs> uh, Spike Dudley was apparently in attendance for this uh, this event. And uh, Ric Flair, the first heel to win the Royal Rumble match. Something else we'd never really mentioned here on the show is that this was the first time a heel had ever won it. The Rumble was always built up as a way to have a big hurrah at the end for the babyfaces. Jim Duggan, Big John Studd had just come back as a, as a babyface when he won. And then you had two years of Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Then you throw in the biggest heel ever, Ric Flair. Although he did win, they get him out of Dodge pretty quick. They get him out of that ring oh, he's gone. almost immediately, yeah. and Hogan's right back in. Yeah, oh yeah, the heat is gone from, from <laughs> oh, Flair yeah, yeah. immediately. They don't even, he doesn't even have the belt. They don't even come out <laughs> and give him the entire point of the rumble. Yeah. They just get him out so, you know, the kids can see Hogan back in the ring and uh, not be traumatized, I guess. Who stole the show on this one? I have two nominees show stealer for me was that two minutes we got with Piper and Flair alone in the ring during the rumble. There was about two minutes where they were the only two guys in the ring and it was magic. Those guys, their styles played off of each other so well. Piper was a baby face, but he was doing the finger pokes to the eyes and Flair was doing the face flopping down in the, like it was so those two guys complimented each other in the ring so well for two minutes. And it was magic. The amazing thing about that era was if you bring a guy in now that the fans aren't familiar with or pair two guys up that are new, they've just been working at a delicious Arby's. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're very, very new. They're coming up from NXT. They don't have a lot of experience. Whereas back in those days, you could bring guys in that had drawn money everywhere, but were unfamiliar to the WWF audience. So, that, there was a bit of that because Flair hadn't been there forever. And here's like a situation where Piper and Flair had drawn money before and they just go in and do their thing like two old pros, but it's fresh in this audience. They yeah, were, they were, that was fantastic. So good together for two minutes until somebody else came in the ring. But that, those two minutes were like, I would have paid for a Flair Piper match that night. It was so good. Um, and then the real show stealer to me is hands down Bobby Heenan. Nobody did it better. Nobody was better than Bobby Heenan. And he was on fire at Rumble 92. That show wouldn't have been that show without Bobby Heenan. 100%. And from the get-go, like Bobby Heenan's commentary in the Rumble match is often what you hear about as being incredible. And it yeah. is. But if you watch that whole pay-per-view, so he's going from... In the opening match, Gorilla Monsoon has given him a hard time because he doesn't know where Flair's going to be in the yeah, match. Yeah, And so from the word go, there's stress from Heenan wondering where Flair's going to be in the match, wanting him so badly to win it. Heenan was magic on the microphone. Absolute magic on the microphone. And Rumble 92 was, again, you know, sort of my introduction into just about everything WWF. But Heenan was the one thing that always stuck with me. Watching it back now, all these years later, 
I remembered so much of Heenan's commentary. And I just mean little things like, oh, looks like the rocket's been grounded. Like just, <laughs> I just, I'm like, I remember him saying that yeah. in 1992. He was so good at what he did. And they tied in the story with Flair so well. And I mean, I have stolen so much of Heenan in what I've done in my career. <laughs> oh, of like, course. I've yeah. stolen so much Heenan in my life. Yeah. You know, I like, I'm not ashamed to say I have, I have been color commentary on rumble matches where I have told someone off camera to go check if one of the guys is okay, because that's what Heenan did. And he did it so well that I did it and went, oh, I just totally ripped off Heenan. I wasn't <laughs> even, you know, it's just cause he, he did it first. He did it so well. One of the great Heenan bits in the rumble too is, and it happened a lot is when he thought one of the guys would be helping Flair. Yes. <laughs> so, like, for example, there's a minute where it looks like Piper's, they're teaming up on the same guy, Flair and Piper. And so Keenan says something to the effect of, it's a kilt. It's not a, it's it's not not a, a skirt, dress. it's a kilt. And then Piper turns on Flair, starts beating him up. and It's a, he, it's a skirt. It's, it's, it's a, a skirt. skirt. Yeah. Well, the, you know, Heenan's, like, you even, you get a taste of it in the um, promo leading up with, they show the barbershop window incident. Heenan was so good in that. Tag team specialist. See, one without the other isn't any good. Oh, oh, I knew he was going to do that. I just knew he was going to do that. He don't need Janetti. I told you that off and on. Are you kidding? What an act of cowardice. <laughs> what an act of cowardice. Jumping was, through yeah, the window. He was trying to escape or something. He yeah. Heenan's, Heenan's a genius. Heenan was so good. This one's interesting. Because especially for a rumble, what moment would you put on the poster? And I always have such a hard time with the Royal Rumble because it's already like those Royal Rumble posters are so iconic to me mm -hmm. of all the, all the guys, like cartoon versions of all the wrestlers walking towards the best posters, know. I think. Yeah. Like over, I, ma over mania. I almost want to say that Rumble's more consistent I, in a way. Yeah. It's more fun to look at. Sure. Yeah. There I, are individual manias that I like more, but. As a brand, I think. Yeah, I think the Rumble posters are so good. But if, if, if I were to buy a poster from this event, I, I don't know. Like, maybe it would be the moment where Hogan grabs Sid and flares right behind him. Like, I'm seeing that as a really nice shot on a poster. But I don't know what you would put on the poster for this because the Rumble posters are just so good. Yeah. It when I was thinking about this question, it felt like it should be an easy one because... There were so many iconic guys in this rumble, but it was tough. The only thing I could come up with was that final four because yeah. is it the final four, I think? It the final up, four was Hogan, Sid, Flair, and Macho Man. Yeah, so it yeah. ends up being the four that they go with for the two Mania yeah. main events. So I'm like, I guess maybe that, but yeah, it's, a, it's tougher than uh, you would think. So what match would you show to a non-wrestling fan? Have you ever had to do this, by the way? Have you ever, have you ever tried to show wrestling to, like, like, I, like, I don't know if your wife watches wrestling. Have you ever tried to show it to her and be like, listen, just watch this and trust me? I did it about a, an hour and a half ago. <laughs> okay. Incredibly, my nine-year-old daughter has never watched wrestling before in her life. No way. Yeah. You've never, is, you've never no. made her watch wrestling, I know. Which is nuts because I was such a fan from like five years old on it, yeah. and make reference make references to it nonstop. There are names she knows, but she's never actually seen it. 
So, I mean, first off, I had to explain that they're not actually hurting each other. <laughs> Have that whole conversation. But I started, the first match she ever saw was this Rumble match. I figured if you're going to watch something from this pay-per-view. Watch an hour and some of Well, we like, didn't watch the whole thing. Okay, but all right. Watch where they just keep cycling through guys and pick a guy. And the interesting thing about it was we were about, I don't know, 10 minutes in. And she picked Flair to win it. She was most attached to Flair because I think she called them his comical flops. He had done a couple of Flair flops at this point. I think she also called him the old man, which is... (laughs) He has white hair. (laughs) Another thing. But she also said, because, you know, it seems like they're setting him up to win, essentially. So the story that they're telling to a nine-year-old was that Flair's going to win, which I just thought was interesting to see through those eyes but i get i guess my answer to that is obviously i would show them the rumble match because just so many dudes you don't like that guy here comes yeah some you, other you just wait till skinner comes out here <laughs> yeah he spits on himself yeah yeah i put the rumble down too i i put the tag match too but i just don't think it would be the one i really enjoy but i don't i don't think if i was like telling my wife okay listen i want you to check this out it would probably be the rumble i don't think it would be that that opening tag match there may be pay-per-views where it is that if that tag team match had have been on another pay-per-view, it might have been the one. Probably. But this was just such a big rumble that you got to show. The best promo of the night? Ooh, there were a lot of promos. <laughs> uh, I, have, I don't recall any other pay-per-view that's ever had this many promos. Now, I imagine if I watched Rumble 93 or Rumble 91 or one of the, then they probably did the same thing. But wah, a lot of promos on this one. My favorites, so the ones I would put down, I really loved Savage. I don't think it's one of his best promos necessarily, but it was definitely one of the best in the night. And only one man can win the prestigious World Wrestling Federation Championship belt. I've won it before. I've been there before. I've been to the top of the mountain. And I'm going back. I'm going back this afternoon. Mr. Perfect and Flair before the match. Hulk Hogan before the match even a little bit. But I think the two that I would put down that I'm kind of flip-flopping between being my favorites would either be Flair's victory promo with, with all the guys in there and, you know, with, with Mean Gene or Piper right before facing the Mountie. Well, you know, what we're dealing with is one of the original village people here with his mate Jimmy Hart who keeps kissing the belt, leaving all that lipstick on it. I heard the money out here saying... First thing I'm going to do, pounds his chest. I don't know, hand me something. First thing I'm going to do, says I'm going to take Piper's integrity. It's like Jacques Cousteau trying to find a dry spot in the ocean. I ain't got no damn integrity. You think I got so far? Second thing I'm going to do, I'm going to take Roddy Piper's manhood. Huh? Huh? Ah, I come here to fight. I don't know what you come here to do. I come here to win two titles. I can't do that till I win the first one. I think you've been dreaming. I think it's been all wet, too. On that note, let's get back to ringside. Piper was so good on the microphone. Like, I talk about how great he was in the ring, but I just, I forgot how much I appreciated Piper, both on in the ring and on the microphone. He was so good at Rumble 92. So I probably leaned towards Flair's victory just because it's, it's such a big one. Yeah, the tear in my eye yeah. and all that stuff. And the I always remember 
between Heenan and and Mr. Perfect saying, we're not the type to say we told you so, but we told you so. It was really, it really felt like a victory celebration more so than a promo. So I would maybe put that one up, but Piper's Piper's promo before the Intercontinental match was so good. I had Blair's victory promo as promo of the night. I'm going to tell you all with a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one. When you are the king of the WWF, you rule the world. Think about it like that, Mr. Perfect. Guys, we're not playing. Let's give a big one. But I had to think about it, too, based on what I was explaining before about how they sort of built him up to be a good guy in this. So in, in a way, in hindsight, I wasn't as big on it because he was just so sympathetic in it, in a way, like a tear in your eye. This is the greatest day of your life. And you're the biggest villain in the world. And yeah, yeah. And I got to hate you. But the one thing that, that it did that maybe should have happened more beforehand was not only emphasize how much winning meant to him, but just how much the actual belt meant. Like this, you win this thing, you're the guy. So that when I'm thinking about buying WrestleMania, I know belt means the biggest thing. That is the be-all, end-all match. I thought selling how important the actual belt was was a good thing. Well, especially for a guy who just showed up wearing the NWA (laughs) big gold belt, right? To say, this is the one that actually matters. (laughs) And I'm sure there was a whole lot of, (laughs) since I'm not getting my 25 grand back. uh, (laughs) But yeah, I, I probably had that one. One of my favorite categories of the whole show is the oversell of the night. We have renamed it the Hugo Savinovich Award because he has won it three times now. So I have a few. The referee, when Piper gets a hold of the cattle prod, he gets out of that ring so quick, but it's great. Have you heard the volume on that cattle prod? You don't want to be in the ring for that. He's like, I've heard that thing before. (laughs) The genius when Jameson kicks him in the shin. That's what I had. Is pretty good. That was yours? That was, that's, yeah. Sergeant Slaughter's elimination was really, really good. And it was kind of an oversell in that he did the big flip over the over the corner. He got Irish whipped into the corner and he flipped over that corner for a big dude like Slaughter. He killed it. Hogan, when he gets eliminated, anytime Hogan starts looking to the crowd side to side, like really wide-eyed yeah. and like he, he, he oversold the hell out of that. And then my last one would be me and Gene oversold the hell out of the cigarette in that final promo. Okay, very good. Rick Flair, you have made world... Put that cigarette out. You have made World Wrestling Federation history here tonight. <laughs> good for him. You know, you put that cigarette out. He has a lot of... He interviews a lot of <laughs> racial stereotypes. Yeah. And they put him through a lot. And Mean Gene decided... Smoking is where I draw the line. This is not going to happen in my interview room. There's a lot of things that in 20 years will reflect badly on me when you look back. (laughs) But allowing smoking, not going to be one of them. Not happening for me. He drew the line there. Good for him. But yeah, I also had uh, the genius uh, selling that kick from Jameson, especially because 
there's a guy in AEW now, Orange Cassidy, whose entire gimmick is that shin kicks are trash and don't hurt anybody. I always like Dude Love doing sweet shin music. Well, yeah, there you was go. pretty good too. Especially given the lead up to that shin kick, there had to be a solid minute and a half where he's thinking about <laughs> punching the genius and then he kicks him. Which one of these matches would you have turned into an item on a pole match? The only one I could really think of was the Mountie and Piper throwing that cattle prod up on a pole. <laughs> you know, it's up there. Maybe, maybe have it buzz every once in a while. <laughs> you know, like. Ooh, it's more <laughs> dangerous because the batteries are wonky. <laughs> right. That's the, only, uh, that's the only thing I could think to put on a pole for this whole thing. Or, wait a minute, idea right now. All right. Put the WWF title on a pole for the Rumble. Whoa, 30 men in the ring all trying to get the title off a pole? I had thought that as well, but there are just so many guys in there that don't need to be anywhere near a ladder. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking about Sid's career ending. Right. Yeah. Jumping off the second rope oh, God. in uh, WCW and breaking his leg. There are just too many big guys for that to work out well. I, I had briefly thought about um, the uh, Owen Hart uh, new foundation match being a, a ladder style thing, but you're right. It's, it's 100%. Even that, I don't, know, I don't know what the item would be, I don't right? Know. Yeah, you like know, so slacks. <laughs> It's, it's definitely better outfits for better. either of the teams. <laughs> like, a, like a gift card to Boers. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's like, you're, there's a number for a tailor. <laughs> That's right. But no, you're right. It's, it's definitely cattle prod. That would have been uh, pretty funny. We usually like to do Jimmy Cordera sightings. Jimmy was with the company at the time, but was nowhere to be found on this pay-per-view, unfortunately. So I guess the only other Canadian authority figure I can think of would be Pat Patterson and uh, Jack Tunney. We'll throw Jack Tunney in there. There were a couple of sightings of, of them. My favorite part of every show is pedantic fault finding because it gives us a chance to you know pick apart the parts that we don't normally like to pick apart because we're wrestling fans. We like to let things slide because... The people who aren't wrestling fans are doing a good enough job of picking apart what we love. So how does anyone get caught in a bear hug? There were a couple bear hugs where I'm like, listen to me, both of your arms are free and both of your <laughs> opponent's arms are occupied. How are you not out of this? I love the idea that the bear hug is so immediately powerful that you're just, I don't know if you're paralyzed with fear. Your arms are free. Do something with them. <laughs> I said I was going to come back to Savage. Savage eliminated himself. And the record shows he was eliminated by Ric Flair and Sid Vicious after 22 minutes. But Savage eliminated Jake the Snake, then proceeded to vault himself over the top rope down to the ground, eliminating himself. And I believe even Monsoon says that he just eliminated himself. But yeah. he gets back in the ring and he's just, they just forget it even happened. What do you think the story is there? I feel like it had never been done before, so nobody thought to prepare for it. I feel like it was, you know, he was just like, I know what I'm going to, I'm going to hop over the top because it's going to be more exciting. Yeah. But nobody thought, oh, don't do that because you'll be essentially eliminating yourself. But Savage is also like a notorious planner, planner. Yeah. of spots, like writes down every individual thing that's going to happen in a match. So you got to think that he would have told somebody that, hey, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to hop over Jump the top. Jump right rope. over. Yeah, it just, it was, I mean, it's clearly, you know, he eliminates himself. That's the rule. You go over the top rope, your feet touch the floor, you're yeah. out. He did exactly that to himself. I mean, the only person who's done it quite as well was Drew Carey in like 2001 or right. whatever that was. But 
Uh, but <laughs> when Kane comes out, uh, not quite as gracefully, but, um, but yeah, like he goes back, like even Undertaker tries to throw him back in the ring at one point and he keeps rolling back out almost as if he knew he was out. It seemed like, I don't know. It was really strange. And then all of a sudden I just noticed, oh, Savage is still in the ring. Okay. So he's not eliminated. I feel like it was like the, like any of those times where two guys go over at the same time and it's like, well, whose feet touch first? It's like, okay, well now we have to on the spot, come up with a, a way to make this still work. Cause I think they wanted Savage to be in the final four. I feel like that's part of it. I feel like it, it seems like the kind of thing that maybe Jake, the snake proposes like, you know, he's so blinded by hate that he eliminates himself and it's a nice elimination. Like great. It's a, yeah. a great explanation to keep that feud going. But then Vince is also like, we can't have the image of Macho Man out for that much of the rumble. Let's just throw him back in for appearances. I don't know. That's such an odd spot. Yeah, but- it was It was really strange. And the other thing was, and if that was the case, if the whole idea was he was eliminating himself because he was so enraged with hmm. with Jake the Snake, he says in his promo after he eliminates Jake the Snake the next big thing on his mind is winning that championship. So why would he eliminate himself? He says in his promo how important winning the championship is after he, after he gets rid of the snake. So why would he do it? Anyway, I'm being pedantic. That's, that's the that's, name of the game that's here. That's the point. What are the odds a guy with the initials IRS would get into the tax collection business? <laughs> Just what are the odds? <laughs> it's, that, uh, <laughs> there's that, but also extend it just to wrestlers. <laughs> like to have those initials, IRS, yeah. to, you know, get into the tax collection agency and decide, like, that's not enough. I also have to get into wrestling. <laughs> and and uh, that in mind, were we really supposed to forget the Iron Sheik? I said I was going to come back to the Sheik, but I know guys get repackaged all the time, but I mean... This guy beat Bob Backlund so that Hogan could win the championship. Like, essentially, the Sheik ushered in Hulkamania. Mm-hmm. It's not like he even wore a mask as Colonel Mustafa. No. Like, he was just, he, he was the Iron Sheik, now he's Colonel Mustafa. And the characters aren't even all that different. The Iron Sheik was from Iran, and Colonel Mustafa was, I think, from Iraq. Iraq, yeah, like, back I, with that whole angle. You know, I, I don't get... Like, were we just supposed to forget that the Iron Sheik was a thing? Like, maybe shave his mustache and have him grow some hair or exactly. something. Like, like I don't something. know. The mustache, at least, has got to go. So that's, you know, again, I'm be, I'm nitpicking here. But even as a kid, I'm like, isn't that the Iron Sheik? <laughs> what do you mean that's Colonel Mustafa? I thought that was the Sheik. It's, it's not, at least, you know, Superman Clark Kent, he put on some glasses or so, or in a suit. <laughs> right. He tried. Exactly. Iron exactly. Sheik, like, can't even be bothered to, to do that. It's like, no. Just put a different name on my little uh, subheading there when you interview me. I think Colonel Mustafa's boots were even pointed. Same boots. Yeah. He's not, they put a, a gimmick change on him, and that's the most I've ever seen a wrestler be allowed to reject it entirely. <laughs> nope. <laughs> not doing it. Call me whatever you want, but uh, mustache stays. Pointy boots aren't going anywhere. <laughs> I had uh, one uh, pedantic uh, fault finding example. And that is at one point in the uh, Piper Mountie match, they go outside of the ring and the Mountie drags Jimmy Hart in front of him. 
as let's say Macho Man would have with uh, Miss Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yeah. The difference being, no one ever had a problem punching Jimmy Hart. It's true. This is like you know you're outside of the ring with a bear and you you throw a. a giant piece of meat in front of you. Here's a rabbit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, you're making this worse. What? I guess you're, you know, he's a human shield in a way that hopefully he's signed up to be, but I didn't figure out why Piper wasn't supposed to go at him if Jimmy Hart's in, in front of him. Yeah, nobody, nobody's going to clock Miss Elizabeth, but exactly. Jimmy Hart is, is going to, yeah, is going to get punched. long line of uh, guys that have already punched Jimmy Hart. <laughs> Who are your three stars of the show? I've, here's my three. Uh, I had in at number, well, okay, you know what? I'm going to go number one first was Bobby Heenan. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Without Bobby Heenan, that was a completely different story. That was a completely different rumble. I don't think Flair's win meant as much without Heenan doing Heenan all over it. It was, to me, watching it again, Bobby Heenan is still the star of the show. Number two, I'm going to put Ric Flair because, I mean, come on. And number three was Roddy Piper. I just, you know, he had a, he was, he was great with the Mountie. He's great on the microphone. And he was also, I think he did like a half hour, a little over a half hour in, in the ring during the rumble and could have easily been a part of that final four. And it would have been just as exciting as say Macho Man. Yeah. I had Keenan for sure because he sold that angle throughout the entire pay-per-view and sold you on a guy that they needed to sell you on. Someone that, at that point, didn't have a whole lot of name recognition. If you're someone like me, like a 10-year-old in Canada is not watching NWA, WCW, you need me to care about this guy, and Bobby Heenan's doing it the whole show. Flair, you also have to say, is probably a star in there as well. I was going to say Gorilla Monsoon for number three because... I almost did the same. Yeah, because Heenan's got to have someone leading him into these cells for Flair, and Gorilla's great too. Also on the list, if there's a fourth star or a 3A... An honorable mention. An honorable mention, I would say, is Shawn Michaels. Really? He's in there a long time, and he's doing... Like, Flair's in there a long time, and it's amazing from a cardio standpoint. Yeah. But HBK's in there a long time, and he's tossing himself over the ropes almost at every opportunity. It's his, hey, look at me. Probably, I'm the next guy rumble and there are so many times where he he could have gone over and didn't not that it it would have affected the final outcome and maybe that's why he does it because if he goes out accidentally too early doesn't really matter yeah but i thought low-key Shawn michaels made that a pretty entertaining rumble if your tastes are more owen hardy like watching a guy do really amazing athletic things yeah, I think Shawn Michaels wasn't quite Shawn Michaels yet at this no. point. Like you even you even called him HBK. He was, you know, he, he wasn't, wasn't the heartbreak at, yeah, at the no. time. So you didn't really have Shawn Michaels. Like this again, I said this was his first pay-per-view match as a solo act. First time he didn't have Marty Jannetty next to him. I think Shawn Michaels was well on his way to becoming, well, obviously, one of, if not the biggest star WWF ever created. And he just wasn't quite there yet, but he was definitely he was looking for his shot. It was it was the audition tape for Vince to say, I know you're not going to put me in the Mania main event. I know I'm not winning this thing. But if whatever I can get out of this rumble, I'm getting from lying all over the place. He was, he was something to watch. 
Royal Rumble 1992. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Probably uh, one of, if not my favorite pay-per-view of all time, simply because it's the one I grew up on. It's the cassette tape I had that I put in the VCR every weekend when I wanted to watch wrestling because <laughs> I didn't have cable. Uh, it was uh, it was a classic, and uh, I was so happy to have you on, Ben. It was a ton of fun, man. Thank you. Thank you. This was such a good time, man. Be sure to join us next time on Pods Unknown, as Ben will be rejoining us again next time for WrestleMania 8, the WrestleMania that followed this very Royal Rumble we covered today. If you agree with our picks for the honors, or maybe disagree with our picks for the honors on this episode, maybe you want to weigh in on the honors for WrestleMania 8. Make sure you click the link in the description of this episode to leave us a voice message, and you could be right here with us on Pods Unknown. My name is Sideshow. Find me online at therealsideshow.com and you can join me on social media at The Real Sideshow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll see you next time on Pods Unknown. Pods Unknown.